Hello and welcome friends to our SBT Sutra Studies class. My name is Venerable Tarpa. Uh, before we begin, let's take a moment to appreciate our kind community gathered here today. Today I feel fortunate to sit as a member of this kind community in the safety and security of like-minded friends, sharing this present moment with others dedicated to the cultivation of goodness. Today, I'm grateful for the direction and support that this community provides, a community worthy of my time and commitment, a community where my efforts have meaning, purpose, and are appreciated. Today, I'm thankful for this community of awakening, a place to gain the knowledge and skills to improve my life, a family, a home, and a sanctuary for all of us seeking refuge from the storm. And let's remember as conscientious practitioners, we must recognize our responsibility to the world, to strive to live skillfully while helping others to do the same, to strive to live in balance and harmony with nature and others, to strive to gain mastery over our minds and embody our true benevolent nature, to expand our hearts and minds, transcending our shared human limitations, to not intentionally harm sentient life or our planet to maturely accept and embrace the reality of our situation while striving to improve it. Again, welcome to our SBT Sutra Studies class. We are currently examining the Dharmapada, and today we will be... I think somebody's vacuuming in the room next to me, and the dogs are attacking the vacuum cleaner. Is that noisy from everybody? I can just barely hear it, but hopefully you don't hear it. Uh, today we're going to be covering chapter 12 of the Dhammapada, in, uh, entitled One Self or Self, depending on which text uh, we're looking at. So um, I'm very excited to be teaching this. When I first started reading it, I thought that I would need to prepare a bit of a commentary on what self is. You know, with the title, it sounds like we're going to be talking about uh, the self, which is a very heavy, deep topic in Buddhism. And I prepared something, and then when I finished reading it all, I, I realized it's not really about self. It's really about, uh, about uh, morality or ethics to ourselves, and, 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 and the text will speak for itself. But uh, I do have both prepared just in case we, uh, we have that. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. we got some excellent readers today. And um, where are we? Here we are. Again, can, can anybody hear the dogs barking in the vacuum cleaner? Is it loud? Yeah, but it's not super loud. No, it's okay. like in the background. Okay. The good news is that's about as noisy as this house is going to get. So um, that's not bad. Okay. Again, let's move on to our class. Um, and how about Catherine? Would you like to read the first one here on self? Number 157. If you truly value yourself, guard yourself carefully. Guard well at least three times during the night, the wise keep vigil. Wonderful. Yoli, would you like to read the next one, 157? Are you muted, Yoli? 
Are you still on? <laughs> oh, sure, sure. If one holds oneself dear, one should diligently watch oneself. Let the wise men keep vigil during any of the, the three watches of the night. Lovely. And Neil, would you like to read 157? If one knows oneself to be precious, one would guard oneself with care. The sage will watch over herself in any part of the night. Great. So the thing we have to explain here is an interesting in Buddhism called the three watches of the night. Um, so originally these come from the story of the Buddha's enlightenment. Uh, the very night that the Buddha gains enlightenment. So the story goes that it's a full moon and he's meditating. And in three different parts of the night, he gains three different knowledges that lead up to him becoming a Buddha. And, and so um, the first is he gains the knowledge of his own past lives and uh, he, re he remembers them. And they say traditionally that this is like 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. The second is the law of karma, which is uh, uh, the workings of karma and cause and effect pertaining to human beings. And that's uh, between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And the third is the four noble truths, which is 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And I'm going to just take a second and tell my friend to stop vacuuming. One second. I'm back, everybody. So the good news was it wasn't somebody vacuuming. It was landscapers with blowers. And so I hope it's just going to be for a few minutes. That's an a, unusual, unusual uh, thing. Okay. Oh, everybody's still here. Good. I had to double check and make sure I wasn't talking into the air. Okay. Um, so again, um, the, these three watches, so it's three, it's three aspects of the enlightened process. So first, he remembers his past lives. Now, this is according to stories. To be honest with you, I've always had problems uh, believing this uh, tale. Um, some of it comes from the Jataka tales, which are not very, uh, uh, are not very authoritative or, or to begin with. But, um, and it just seems a little bit too precise. Like, you know, this is 600 years before Christ, and uh, we know so little about the Buddha, but we know the exact times that he reaches all his different levels of enlightenment. So, nevertheless, these are the three different things that, uh, at, uh, again, one, the first is he remembers his past lives between 10 p.m. and uh, 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. Uh, he uh, realizes the law of karma between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And then thirdly, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path between 2 a.m. and 6 p.m. 
6 a.m., which then makes him a Buddha at 6 a.m. Now, that's, uh, that's the story. And, but then people practice these, and different traditions practice them in different ways. In Tibetan tradition, we did never practice the three watches. But uh, but some do, and and so what they'll talk about is some some will will do an all night meditation, and they'll try to mimic these uh, three stages of the Buddha's awakening. Where other cases they'll do the three, but they'll have uh, aspects of sleep within it. That uh, you know the the first is uh, some gentle meditation, and then there's a sleep period, and then you wake up. In, in the evening for more meditation later on. So I, I didn't want to go into detail about that because I think that's quite different for different groups. But I think the point of uh, the text when they say guard ourselves in the three, the three watches of the night, they're just generally they're saying uh, to, to watch ourselves. In the commentary on, um, on Gil Frasdale's uh, uh, text, uh, it says, uh, uh, they talk about any part of the night. They could be more literally translated as during one or any of the three watches of the night. So generally, I think it's safe that we could just say, guard yourself generally throughout the day and night. Um, the first verse, uh, I think, just simply says, you know, if you care about yourself and you care about your future, your happiness, then you have to be vigilant. You can't just uh, uh, live life completely open. There are dangers out there. There's dangers to your virtue and there's and, and things like that. So uh, we want to be vigilant. We want to be mindful. We want to uh, uh, practice uh, uh, ethics and responsibility and to, uh, to protect ourselves. Um, Catherine, would you like to read number two, uh, number 158? First, bring yourself into harmony with the way. When you are free from emotionality, then you are wise enough to teach others. Thank you. Yoli, would you like to read 158? One should first establish oneself in what is proper, then only should one instruct others. Thus, the wise man will not be reproached. And Neil 158. In first establishing himself in what is proper, and only then teaching others, the sage will not be stained. Thank you, Neil. I wanted to look at the first one just for a second. Do you notice the first one? Oh, then it does say teach others, yeah. So um, this is pretty clear. They're just they're just talking about you know before you can help others, you really have to get some stability in your own practice. You need to be able to to gain some wisdom. You need to be able to have some mental emotional stability, and um, by gaining that, then you can help others well. And uh, during these teachings, uh, I can't see the screen, um, and Neil. I, last time I did this, could you do tech support for me as well? You were very helpful last time with that. Is that okay? Of course I'll say yes. Yes, yeah, that's He's fine. Going. You've got He's a couple of chats in. Great. So on the chats, 
share with me what's important because all of us can read the chats ourselves and especially questions. Please go ahead. My commentary has three watches as childhood, adulthood, and old age. Oh, I've lost the chat now. <laughs> Yeah, and um, and it also the three watch the, the watches are in many different places. Christians, I think, they have like a four watch, and it was when Jesus goes to uh, the desert for a forty day uh, meditation. So yeah, the watches, if you Google them, quite a bit of things come up. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, but I was saying uh, you can post your comments to chat or you can uh, just go ahead and speak them because I don't, uh, I can't see everybody to call on you. Yoli, would you like to read 159? Whatever advice you give to others, do the same yourself. When you have subdued yourself, then subdue the rest. The only one hard to subdue is yourself. So true, huh? And Miss Catherine, 159. One should do what one teaches others to do. If one would train others, one should be well controlled oneself. Difficult indeed is self-control. Hallelujah. Neil, 158. One fifty-eight. Please. In in first establishing himself in what is proper, and only then teaching others the sage has one fifty. Is that right, one? That I, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, one fifty nine. Yeah. My fault. As one instructs others, so should oneself. So, so should one do oneself. Only the self controlled should restrain others. Truly. It's hard to restrain oneself. And boy, is it, right? So there's two ideas. One is don't be a hypocrite. And the other one is, again, you have to train yourself before you can train others. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And we're on to 160. Yoli, would you like to read this one? You are your own protector. Who else is there to protect you? When you have trained yourself well, you will find the protector who is so hard to find. Lovely. Catherine, 160. One truly is the protector of oneself. Who else could the protector be? With oneself fully controlled, one gains a mastery that is hard to gain. And Neil, 160. Oneself, indeed, is one's own protector. What other protector could there be? With self-control, one gains a protector hard to obtain. Lovely. And so we're talking about responsibility, right? If you, if you care, if you indeed care for yourself, you need to, to uh, have, uh, have responsibility for yourself and... But I like to think that there's more protectors than just me. I mean, we have moms and dads and we have communities, we have sangha, we have teachers. But I think the point they're making is, you know, take, take personal responsibility seriously. 
And, um, and once you have trained yourself to protect yourself, and in a lot of ways, I think about protection as is in our vows, and for me and my, my monk robes, that they protect us. And so by establishing yourself well in your vows, you become that protector that is hard to obtain. And 161, Catherine, would you like to read this? The harm you do arises from you, comes forth from you, and your harmful mind will crush you as a diamond crushes pearls. Thank you. Yoli, 161. The evil, the evil a witless man does himself, born of himself and produced by himself, grinds him as a diamond grinds a hard gem. And Neil, 161, it's at the top of the page, and I'll scroll down. By oneself alone is evil done. Born of oneself, produced by oneself, it grinds down those devoid of wisdom as a diamond grinds down a gem. Some of you have probably seen this meme. This is a very popular one, but they usually leave off the last two lines about um, grinding, grinding it down as gems, but they'll usually just say, by oneself alone evil is done, born of oneself, produced by oneself kind of a thing. Or maybe it's just that first line that I've seen in memes. Um, and it's true, right? The merits of our actions are in our intentions. And so um, I believe that that's very true. 162. Yoli, would you like to read this one? The denigrate person is like a solid tree choked, by, choked with ivy. By his own actions, he brings to himself just what his enemies desire. And isn't it sad in these old texts that everything's just male? Wouldn't it be terrible to be a lady in these times where just the whole world focused on men? It's just terrible when you read it. Oh, Catherine, 162. Just as a single creeper strangles the tree on which it grows, even so, a man who is exceedingly depraved harms himself as only an enemy might wish. Lovely. And Nigel, uh, uh, Neil, both ends, right? Neil, would you like to read 162? They who cover themselves with their own corrupt conduct, like creeper covers a tree, do to themselves what an enemy wishes for them. So there's no, nothing really philosophical to comment on, but the imagery is, is pretty intense, isn't it? That, you know, when we, when we do non-virtues and we're, we're dominated by, by self-cherishing and all the evil things, corrupt things that we do, it's like our, our karma becomes like this creeping ivy that strangles us. And who would wish that upon us but only our enemies, huh? Ah. Oh. And Catherine, would you like to read 163? It is easy to bring harm to oneself 
by doing harmful acts. But what is good and beneficial is very difficult to do. Yoli 163. Easy to do are things that are bad and harmful to oneself, but exceedingly difficult to do are things that are good and beneficial. And Neil 163. Easy to do what is not good and things that harm oneself. It's very difficult to do things beneficial and good. So this one, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. How about the rest of you? Do you think it's easier to do harmful acts than good acts? I mean, certain things like dietary choices, it seems a lot easier to stop and buy some fast food than to take a salad home to eat. <laughs> for me, for me at least. What do you think? In in compassion, you know, is it is it easier to be mean to someone than to feel compassionate for someone? I'm not quite sure. Would you say it's skillful and unskillful? It's easier to act unskillfully, whereas you have to stop and think to act skillfully. Very good, but I, but I'm still wondering, and maybe for me it's 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 the fact that I think some things are easier to act on unskillfully, where some things kind of come natural. Goodness does come naturally to us, also, right? So to be honest, I, I don't, I just don't really have an opinion. I could, I could, so many different uh, situations, both could be said. Um, so I think like when you had said the reaction to be mean, I think if your reaction to mean to someone is your reaction of your ego of what you're feeling instead of what they're going through. Because if you have that pure heart of compassion, your reaction is going to be completely different and you're going to come from a place of compassion of whatever's going on. You know, you're going to let go of that, that ego of your own hurt. Right. And yeah. kind of be, be pure and pure to the situation. I like that. And I was, I was also thinking maybe if we look at it in, in the sense of samsara and awakening that it's easier to, to, to live in habitual existence where we just keep doing all the things we do, regardless of their effect. It's harder to be mindful and aware and practice the good. So maybe in that case, I see the point, yeah. So, so I take it, so this is, I'm just listening to what's being said. So it's, it's the ego that is really, sometimes the ego just naturally responds and it's actually harder to sometimes control the ego, which is why sometimes doing evils or not necessarily doing evil, but doing harm is, is easier. And good. That's right, self-concern, right? Yeah. Our self-concern, our selfishness really gets in there sometimes. It's easier to be concerned about ourselves than caring for others. But then there's other situations like with family members, you know, isn't it really easy to care for your family members, you know, when it's your kids? But yeah, so yeah, it's interesting. Okay. I I, I took this to be um, if I if I look at my, my my day or my whole time, I I probably spend a few percent 
5% doing things that are, are good and the rest just doing kind of meaningless things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Although they're, they're only, uh, they're meaningless and, and not essential, that in itself means they're not good. Because I'm, I'm wasting, I'm wasting time, I'm wasting precious time. So in that kind of sense, I could get some, some sort of meaning out of it. Yeah, I like that. And I think that that's similar to, to the point I was making, that if we're thinking about, you know, uh, uh, non-virtual things being some sorry, just being habitual things, like you said, yeah. just just these habit habitual things, going to work and all these. Yeah, you're right. We, we've spent far little time be actually being mindful and aware and doing trying to be really great people oh thank you that's lovely. i think also sorry tarpa i think also sure. just if you think of it as something like as basic as keeping your home clean like yeah it's easy to just let it be a mess but you know <laughs> yeah. you kind of have to take the steps to clean up after yourself and all of that also in parenting it's easier just to yell and you know, put everybody in their place, but it's better to take a deep breath and handle it with patience and kindness. Now that drove it home for me. Now I get it. It's about cleaning or not cleaning your house. Yeah, it's a lot easier to keep watching TV instead of do what's right and get the vacuum cleaner on. Thank you so much. That's lovely. Oh, let's move on to 164. Uh, Yoli, would you like to read this one? Those hostile to the teachings of the Arahats, hostile to the saints or to those who live by the Dharma, in harboring harmful views, carrying the seeds of their own destruction, like the bamboo which dies as soon as it bears its fruit. Catherine, 164. We're here on two pages. I'll scroll down for you. Whoever, on account of perverted views, scorns the teachings of the teaching of the perfected ones, the noble and righteous ones, that fool, like the bamboo, produces fruits only for self-destruction. Can you say dogma? And the number we on. Uh, and Neil, number 164. Young wise rely on evil views to malign the teachings of the noble arhants who live the Dharma, produce fruit that destroys themselves, like the <coughs> kafaka reed that dies upon bearing fruit. Great. And and the the commentary says that this is a type of bamboo that as soon as it uh, sheds its berries, it passes away. And so um, uh, to me, this reads almost as a warning, right? And I thought, especially this one by, uh, by uh, Buddha Rakita, um, oh, so dogmatic, huh? Um, whoever on account of perverted views, is this the right the one? I was thinking, or is it this first one by? I thought it was this one that sounded so evil. Whoever on account of perverted views scorns the teachings of the noble ones. Oh, the, here we go. 
Whoever on account of perfected view scorns the teachings of the perfected ones. Is that what we should start calling ourselves now? SBT, the perfected ones. I don't know if I feel like a perfected one. I feel like one that's getting a little better, right? Yeah. I mean, I see all of you as perfected, but I don't know if I'm in that. The noble and righteous ones. Oh, that's a lot to live up to. Those fools that would mess with us like bamboo, they will be destroyed. It sounds to me like a warning. Don't you mess with those Buddhists. Karma, karma will bite you in the rear end. And oh, we have one, we have two more, I think, in this one. Okay. Catherine, would you like to read 165? The harm you do is your own doing. You create your emotional problems yourself. You yourself can turn from wrongdoing. Only you can purify you. Pure or impure, it is yours to choose. For no one can purify another. Lovely. Yoli, would you like to read 165? By oneself is evil done. By oneself is one defiled. By oneself is evil left undone. By oneself is one made pure. Purity and impurity dependent on oneself. No one can purify another. That's lovely. And oh, here we are, 165. Uh, Neil, would you like to read this? Evil is done by oneself alone. Oneself is one defiled. Evil is avoided by oneself. By oneself alone is one purified. Purity and impurity depend on oneself. No one can purify another. So I thought that this was an important verse. And because it seems to uh, be at odds with some of the later Buddhist views. And um, one of them, of course, this pertains to karma, that, you know, you yourself are the creator of your own bad karma and, uh, and emotional problems. Um, I, think, uh, I think sometimes outside forces can be a source of emotional problems as well. I know a lot of you uh, have children or have, you know, have jobs with rotten bosses. And I'm not sure if uh, I create all of my emotional problems, but there is a choice on how I deal with that. The other thing that this verse uh, talk, uh, gets into is the idea of free will. And this is a, a huge topic nowadays in a lot of the Buddhist circles is what Buddhism feels about free will. Is there really... Uh, such a thing as free will. And this chapter point, this verse points out clearly that the Buddha's uh, points to the idea that there is this, there is the idea of free will. You yourself can turn away from wrongdoing. Only you can purify yourself. And, then, and the idea of only purifying yourself, then this pertains to the idea of merit in Buddhism. If you can give money to a monk and get a better rebirth, 
or you can give some money to the temple and do a little bit better in business. Uh, this is a huge thing in South Asia where Buddhism is, has just been reduced to a transactional kind of a thing where people just go to the temples just to make donations so they can improve their good fortune. And so uh, the idea, or, or the idea that, um, that you can have a, a monk bonk you on the head with a stick or a monk say a little, say a little something in your ear and somehow it's gonna benefit you. Uh, I've always had a problem with the, as a secular practitioner, I've always had a problem with the idea of merit and the idea of blessings that somehow I have the ability to give my good karma, or we could call it merit, that I, I have that ability to share it with another human being. The Buddha is very clear throughout the scriptures that this isn't possible. There's the old phrase, something like, uh, the Buddhas uh, can't uh, heal with their hands. They can't wash away sin with water. The only thing the Buddhas are, can do to help others is to teach, teach the nature of reality. So again and again through the scriptures, there's this idea that each one of us has to do our own work. And so here that, that, that sentiment is, is clear again. Um, it, an interesting story that I used to have a lot, when I was in India, I used to have many people always want me to give them a blessing. And again, I didn't feel very comfortable. And so I thought I would write, uh, I'd write a blessing out. And, um, and it actually, it's our, our altruistic affirmation that we, we have. I wrote it originally as a blessing. And, and so I would, when, when somebody wanted a blessing, I would say, may you be healthy, may you be prosperous, may you be well, may you be present, free of past regret and future worry, may you abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment, may you realize your true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. And most of the people weren't ready for such an elaborate blessing, but what they didn't know was I was giving them, I was giving them practice instructions that our altruistic affirmation, it was written as, as, uh, as practice instructions to people. And I had the idea that, hey, I had to do all this hard work myself to get where I am. You gotta do the same. You can't just have me slap you on top of the head and tell you you're gonna be okay. So, um, so I thought that this verse was quite poignant as for secular Buddhism, because it addresses a lot of controversial topics within Buddhism. Have I talked enough there? <laughs> Neil, I think I talked enough. Okay. Do we have any uh, comments in the, in the chats that you want to share? No, not really. They don't like what I'm saying? What is it? <laughs> I, I was, I've got something to say, Tapara. I, I think that, that bit about purifying and stuff made me think about cultivating and about how we can um, put the, we, free will or not, we can put the effort in to cultivate the conditions where we will do good rather than harm if we can cultivate those skills in advance. Sort of the the meta practices and the affirmations and all these other things that we do, we're cultivating the conditions where we're more likely to to do something skillful than not skillful. Who chooses to cultivate? 
still a decision, right? It's a, yeah. it's a decision to not follow our habits and instead do something different to cultivate goodness. Like like the the last verse was talking about, it's easier to just be, to, to live in the habitual world than to make an active choice to cultivate something better. So is that respond rather than react? That, that's you using your higher cognitive function to respond rather than the yeah. um, animal reactivity. And then the idea of purity is fine in a secular level. It's just a question of what are we, because purity is just uh, improving, whatever kind of word you'd like to use there, cultivating, improving. Um, but uh, in secular Buddhism, it's a question of what are we purifying? So here they're talking about others can't purify us. And as secular Buddhists, we would agree with that. That other than the fact that I can give a teaching that people can gain something from. Uh, but when we, get, when we come back to purifying in Buddhism, and especially the secular Buddhist view, what we're purifying, purifying is our perspective is we're, we're abandoning wrong views and cultivating right views. So, so that's what cultivation, that's what purification is, in my opinion. That's what I read about in the text, that it's purification of our perspective, of seeing ourselves in the world in the right way. That's the ultimate purification. It's not purification like in other religions, like, it still has to do with goodness, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. That was wonderful. Catherine, while you're on the mic, would you like to read 166? Do not give up your own benefit, even if by doing so you bring great benefit to others. When you truly understand what will help you, you will naturally turn towards the highest good. Thank you. Yoli, this is the last one, 166. Let one not neglect one's own welfare for the sake of another, however great. Clearly understanding one's own welfare, let one be intent upon the good. And Neil, 166, it's on two pages here. Don't give up your welfare. Don't give up. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll start again. Sure. Don't, don't give up your own welfare for the sake of others' welfare, however great. Clearly know your own welfare, and you will intend on the highest good. Thank you. That's wonderful. So this one, uh, when I first read it, struck me on a couple of levels. Uh, remember that these, uh, the, the Dharmapada isn't a part of the Mahayana text. And those that know the Mahayana, some of you have taken Bodhisattva vows, you might, your eyes might have gotten really big when you read, read this and you think, wait, wait a second, isn't that our practice? Uh, but this can be read in a couple ways. This could also pertain to um, something that's mentioned continuously in the Dharma groups, and that is... Uh, taking, learning to take care of ourselves, not just others, right? We talk about self-love and self-nurture self and caring for ourselves. So this verse can equally pertain to that idea. So I read it as it's not telling us to not care for others. It's just telling us 
to strike the right balance between caring for ourselves and caring for others. Don't give up our own welfare for the sake of others. And those of you who have bodhisattva vows, you know this to be true. Even though our affirmation is, may I attain awakening for the benefit of all beings. And we, also, we often talk about uh, trading self-cherishing for the cherishing of others. But we're not ever letting go of one. We're, ne we're never negating self-welfare. That would be a, a wrong understanding of it. And in fact, um, I think when you first took Bodhisattva vows, I, I, I write in, in the ceremony that I used to think that being a Bodhisattva meant to uh, giving up my life in, in the pursuit of benefiting others. And at some point I realized that I was wrong. That's not what it is. When you're a Bodhisattva at a deeper level, you realize that when you're benefiting others, you're benefiting yourself. And when you benefit yourself, you're benefiting others, as long as it's done in a virtuous way. When it's virtuous benefit towards others, you, you, know, you get, you get the, uh, the, the, the feelings from it. When you help others, they help you in return. And then when you help yourself and you take good care of yourself and you're healthy and you're happy, it's so much easier to benefit others. Would anybody else like to share? That's our last verse today. Finally, I get the cough. I can't, I can't hit the mute button when I'm on share. I was holding that back for a while. What did everybody think of uh, chapter 12? What'd you think, David? Oh, you muted, David. I think I mentioned last time, I'm not actually getting a lot out of this, but I'm getting a lot out of your comments on it. Um, and I, I must admit, when I read this uh, earlier, that last verse, don't give up your welfare for the sake of others' welfare, however great, I did think, I wonder how Tarpa's going <laughs> 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 to... You did it perfectly, of course. <laughs> uh, and I feel the same way you do. Some of the, some of the chapters have been really kind of cool. Boy, they've all needed a lot of interpretation. And I have to tell everyone, I'm not pulling it out of my hat. These are interpretations that I've heard from teachers in the past. And, and plus, when you, when you develop a really broad knowledge of Buddhism, you understand a passage because you know all the other places that a similar term like that is used, right? So, and this is one of the things, like, with people that are new to interpretation and they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, translating uh, stuff and you know they think oh i'm pretty good with poly i can go ahead and start translating but unless a person has that really broad knowledge they don't understand certain phrases and terminologies are used in a different way and especially uh modern uh, a lot of the modern secular scholars are saying that people never get the buddha's humor that the buddha is often quite sarcastic in in the in the text they're at least they're assuming so because no one really knows and they say that in the past people have all translated those as 
as being literal and they say they don't get it, but they look at other texts from that time and they, they kind of start to understand, oh, this is a play on a Brahmin practice, like the three fires, which, which is called, we call the three poisons. That's a play off of the Brahmin three fire practice. So, um, yeah, so, so just to, to let everybody know, I, I have a bit of knowledge about these different things and all the traditions that I've, I've studied. But uh, yeah, a few verses. I'm, it, it, this doesn't impress me as much as the last time I read the Dharmapada many years ago. Yeah. Anyone else like this year? Just again, so thinking about, sorry, um, I was just thinking about that last one and trying to, you know, often you hear people saying that you need to think about yourself before you help others or you have to, you know, put yourself up to be able to help others. And, and it, it made me think again about the ego that a lot of times when you're doing that, you're actually doing it for not for the, the, the right altruistic reasons in all cases. You're actually putting your ego first, whereas what this is actually saying, it's not about the ego. It's about almost saying if you don't have your own health, how can you then benefit and help others and, and you know, I think that's what I was picking up. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And then the wisdom has to play in. Yeah. Uh, like I remember I took, uh, I took life, I, I took um, basic uh, emergency care thing. I got it from hospice and the Red Cross. And they teach you how to give CPR and things like that. But I remember the first rule when you step into a crisis you don't act right away. You look around and you see if it's safe for you to help before you help, right? So wisdom has to be applied first to make sure you can be skillful, right, Neil? You got to be skillful. So, but, but the Bodhisattva realizes the interconnection between it all. That as human beings, we live in societies, we're all interconnected. Like the Dalai Lama says, if you're going to be selfish, be a, a smart selfish. Because when you help others, well, then, then they owe you. You can call on favors when you, <laughs> when you need them, right? If you're good to your neighbors, they'll watch your house when you're gone and things like that. So it really is beneficial to us in every way to help others in our society. And in turn, that, that helps us as well. So when you realize that inter interdependence, when you realize that me eating good food allows me to help others better, and then that helping of them better will definitely come back to me as well. That's the, the view of the Bodhisattva. Donna? Okay, so I keep thinking about people who don't, who aren't able to help themselves at all, let alone help anybody else. There was a section you were talking about. Yeah. That, that you didn't understand. And I'm thinking some people just don't have the ability to be good at that point in their lives. I yeah, you're that. right. Yeah, it's a spectrum. Some people seem to have it in their bones. And some people don't. Some people have parents that teach it to us at a young age. Some people don't. You're right. Very much so. And I like... Uh, I like Goken's remark. Goken says, Gochen, sorry. She says, uh, uh, the, the best pre present we can give to the world, to others, is happiness. I heard this from Raja Chaksu, who stole it from me. <laughs> that's, a, that's in one of my texts 
Uh, that was a, a story that I told him about a teacher uh, uh, that uh, one of my teachers in the monastery. And uh, and the best gift that we can do is in the morning make up our minds to be happy. We actually uh, I actually turned that into a practice. That's the beginning of our practice of the four gifts where we offer the world, because these, these are contagious qualities. We offer the world our stability, our care, our, our, uh, our calmness, our care, and our happiness. So, oh, I'm very, very happy he's using my material. <laughs> oh, by the way, everyone, Vajrachaksh is a dear, dear friend of mine. He's a Dharma teacher with the Tri Ratna group in, uh, in Istanbul. And uh, I miss him. We, I haven't seen him for ages. A brilliant, uh, brilliant practitioner and a dear friend of both mine and Gochen's. If you see him, please tell him I said hello. And please don't tell him I said that he stole it from me. <laughs> Let's let him think he, it's, his, it's his own thing. I probably steal a bunch from him as well. He, he had some wonderful things. He helped me uh, with our vows. Uh, uh, the SBT, our uh, our refuge and bodhisattva vows he was instrumental in helping with a great deal of that work so i will always owe him donna do you have another question or is your arm just hanging up there my arm's just hanging i don't know okay I'll, I'll lower your hand for you well the the chapter was I, there was bits of it that were interesting it allowed us to to touch on some interesting topics like the idea of free will it, to me, it seems like, you know, as an agnostic, to be honest, I don't really feel like I have to have a belief or know whether we have free will or not. You know, as long as I can move forward and cultivate these qualities and move towards awakening. I, I personally have always favored the view of free will. And it seems to me that again and again, Buddhism always points to the fact that, uh, you know, all, all the aspects of Buddhism is, is in choice. We have to choose to cultivate uh, the Buddhist path. We have to choose virtue and goodness. And, and actually, samsara itself would be the absence of free will. Samsara is habitual, mundane existence. So I always thought that the path of awakening is the path of gaining free will. Because you probably know many people who seem to exercise absolutely no free will. You know, they do the same patterns every day. Children is, are an example. Children just kind of parrot their environment around them. And though some of the things they say seem unique, I don't think that they really are. I don't think children have much free will of any kind. Um, but as we mature, we become self-aware. That's the beginning of gaining free will. And then there's always the idea of what, ex what exactly do we mean by free will? And again, I believe that most of us don't exercise it. From time to time, when, when we're able to, we can, but we can cultivate it and gain more and more free will. And I think a Buddha would be a, a being who, is, who has gained complete free will. That's just my own take on it. <clears throat> Uh, but I really liked all of that. Hey, let's cap off today with, uh, I try to do a little conclusion. And uh, the conclusion, I just kind of go through the different verses and either try to summarize them or put my own spin on them. So I'm kind of just going through them verse by verse. So the three, oh, we talked about the three watches. That's fine. Um, so we must first train and tame our own minds before we can hope to teach others. You yourself must embody what you preach. 
You must take full responsibility for your life, your path, and your own self-control. You are chiefly the creator of your own suffering. It's easier to be non-virtuous than virtuous, or it's easier to be lazy than energetic. I believe in that one for sure. Um, and um, number 164, again, I thought was a warning that those who harm the Dharma or its practitioners, especially Tarpa, sow the seeds of their own demise. I don't even like paragraphs that use that kind of language. It's horrible. Even bad people, I don't want to see their demise. Um, 165 was, only you can purify yourself. No one can purify another. But the choice has to be made to purify yourself. And lastly, we have to understand the importance of caring for ourselves. If we ourselves are not tamed, stable, wise, healthy, and content, how can we possibly help others? That's about all I had to share. And um, I'd like to read a couple of these. Inari, Inari says, the way I think of it, you can save others from drowning. Oh, you can't save others from drowning unless you know how to swim. Oh, that's a really good one. And Ron says, I've thought of free will as illusory for quite some time. There's a lot of views on it. And um, and I, probably we don't get into them here. One day we'll do a nice teaching on it. But um, um, who's the... Who's the teacher that does all the work? Well, Sam Harris does a lot of writing against free will. But the Buddhist teacher, um, uh, who was the Buddhist teacher? I quote him in my text. Do you remember, Catherine? Um, Alan, uh, he's the enigma. No, not Alan Watts. He's a modern teacher. Oh, anyways, he, does, he has some really nice work on, his, uh, on the subject. I, uh, I quoted him quite a bit of my own text, but let's do a teaching on it one day and we can uh, talk a little bit more about it. What I like about it is that it's, it's completely agnostic. No matter who wants to claim what and they're so sure of this or that, I don't think that there's any evidence uh, in any direction we can. This is a, uh, I like really agnostic viewpoints. They're really fun to talk about. I'd like to thank our yeah, readers. Think, uh... Ron, please. Yeah, I think I think free will itself is a mental construct. The arguments for it and the arguments against it are all mental constructs, and they're all illusory. Maybe. Thank you, Ron. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'd like to thank our readers for the wonderful job they did. You guys are amazing. Thanks, Neil, for running tech support for me. I had a lot of fun. It was a great class, huh? Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have a class on preparing for dying. It was requested. Uh, we recently had a Sangha member, Keith Tenzin Powell, pass away. And it's making a lot of people contemplate. And some people are wondering, what exactly do we do to prepare for the dying process? So that's tomorrow's class. You don't want to miss it, especially before you die. You want to be prepared. So uh, with that said, let's end today's class with our altruistic affirmation. May all be healthy, may all be prosperous, may all be well. May all be present, free of past regret and future worry. May all abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment. 
now realize their true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. Thanks for joining me, everybody. See you Thank tomorrow. You. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank you Bye-bye. 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 You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.